All right, tonight's gospel is from Matthew 13, 1 through 9, 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell out on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they, quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. The word of the Lord. Communication isn't easy. Sometimes the people you're talking to don't understand what you're trying to say. And if you start thinking about words, it seems like a miracle that we communicate at all. These letters, sounds, arranged arbitrarily to make our mouths and tongues make certain noises that have no inherent meaning, merely assigned to represent a thing or an action or to be a preposition or whatever. And we all have to agree on those arbitrary meanings in order to communicate. And of course, if we're somewhere where we don't know the language, words are meaningless to us. We may find other ways to communicate, but I mean, isn't it all just kind of wild? In my aging household, Jim and I are more and more often unable to find the word we want. So lately, instead of taking the time to try, we just use whatever word makes it to the surface. The refrigerator becomes the house. Thank you. You know, like where the yogurt lives? The river, the sink, the cat, the dog, he, she, this amuses us. So sometimes we decide to ignore all the conventions of language. Our grammar devolves, we speak in short times, some shorthand, sometimes in tongues, though not by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and the amazing thing is, we almost always understand each other. The other day on the way home from Jim's parents' house, I decided to stop using consonants to begin words. We talked almost 
the whole way home that way and understood each other. It probably sounds like we're in third grade. And maybe it would be better in terms of slowing cognitive decline if we stopped this, tried harder to communicate conventionally. But I like these reminders that words are flimsy signifiers. Communication can happen in an enormous variety of ways, and not always according to the laws that have been laid down. Words are tools or symbols. They don't contain meaning. They don't necessarily represent what's really real. We learn a language which can actually limit our experience of the world, limit our chances of discovering it differently. Dualisms, binaries, good, bad, black, white, boy, girl, us, them. The Potawatomi have a word, pupawi, which means the force which causes mushrooms to push up from the earth overnight. Indigenous language often have words that express the animacy, the aliveness of what we think of as inanimate. We don't have comparable words in our language to express these ways of seeing or experiencing the world, the enormity of the diversity of what is alive. Words can be beautiful, and words can limit. The people in power generally imposed their language on the people they colonized or enslaved or defeated somehow in order to turn the oppressed into prisoners of their ideology, to prevent them from thinking differently. And on some level, it's like we're all sort of conditioned in this sort of insidious way to agree with the dominant ideology. Words. The parable that Neil read is about the word of the kingdom, according to Jesus and Matthew. Not the kingdom of the people in power, but the word of God. And the parable is about whether or not people can understand it. It's interesting to think about the word of God. It's not English, obviously. It's unlike the words we're used to, words that we use to communicate. It's not like an arbitrary signifier. It seems like the word of God would actually contain truth somehow, or beauty, the good news. Seems like it would be something really real. A lot of times the Bible talks about Jesus as the word. The word of God is Jesus. That's quite a word. It contains a lot, birth and life and death, and resurrection, and love, and suffering. In this parable that Neil read, Jesus uses the metaphor of a seed. The word of God is a seed. Well, wow, wow, wow. I mean, maybe a seed could seem like a sort of weak image, I guess. If you were thinking the word of God might be like the authoritarian voice or script of a mighty potentate, a loud leader, something powerful in that way. A seed is often, though not always, tiny. 
It's quiet. It hardly even looks alive. In fact, the metabolic processes we associate with life, like respiration and growth, are so slow in a seed that they're nearly undetectable. They don't move fast. They might seem to us like they're not alive. But nothing could be further from the truth. There are seeds that grow into magnificent plants after being dormant for a thousand years. A Judean date palm seed over 2,000 years old, recovered from excavations of Herod's palace, was germinated in 2005. And it grew, and it flowered, and it's still alive. A narrow-leaf campion, this beautiful little flower with lilac-covered petals, was regenerated from a seed that had been frozen in the Siberian permafrost for 31,800 years. That is some life, some long, enduring life. Seeds could seem like inanimate things. They don't walk or talk, but they move and they germinate in so many ways. Jack pines through fire. Some seeds have a wing. Maple seeds have two wings. Milkweed seeds have hair that keeps them blowing in the wind. Some plants produce buoyant seeds that float in rivers to the oceans and wash up on beaches, seeds with barbs or hooks attached to animal fur or feathers or feet, and then drop off later to grow all over the world. Some of this is from Phyllis's seed sermon. Seeds, I learned that seeds need different things to germinate. Some seeds need light, but some seeds need darkness. Some seeds need the enzymes they get from being eaten by a bird or an animal, a reptile, a fish. Inside the digestive tracts of those animals, they get what they need. And then they're dispersed through poop. And the poop actually protect, protects them from being eaten by animals who don't like poop. It may seem like an unusual process, but it works to grow trees and beautiful flowers and fruit and jungles and forests. Who knew the possibilities were so wild, so endless? No wonder that the sower in Jesus' story is relaxed seeming, throwing out seeds indiscriminately, so optimistic. The word of God is like a seed. What could be better if God's word, God's love, is even 1% as gently, creatively effective as a seed, with all its patient, diverse capacity to grow, germinate inside shit through tumultuous churning, fires flood over millenniums? Maybe it's all going to be okay after all, eventually, redeemed, resurrected. Jesus says that he speaks in parables, almost like to confuse people. Maybe because people understanding the word of God isn't really a very straightforward process. Maybe it has to go through the gut, lay dormant a thousand years, be opened by fire. 
To hear the word of God is not the same thing as hearing the bank is open or the juice is red. It's all just way more involved in that than that. We might go around thinking that we perceive reality accurately, like we know a lot. But our ways of knowing are so formed by our cultures, which are formed by empires and violence and false binaries, us, them, good, bad, judgments and fear, the kingdom of the world. And maybe these ways of knowing need to be undone or confused in order for us to hear the word of God, the good news. So Jesus speaks in parables, not Straightforward lessons that you grasp with logic, they're more like seeds. So some seeds fall along a path where the soil is packed down and hard, and then the birds eat them in the parable. Well, really this may just be a way for the seed to get what it needs to germinate. It's not bad for the seed, or the birds, or the world. It's in this way that sunflowers and morning glories spring up miles and miles from where they started in surprising places, in desolate places. But still, if we, the hearers of the parables, are like that hard, packed-down soil, which is what Jesus suggests when he's explaining it, if our hearts are so hard that the seed can't penetrate, this does seem sad for us. I mean, if the seed is good news, like deeply beautiful healing truth, love like light, hope, bread, there are no sufficient metaphors, but I gather from having read the Bible that Jesus believes it could transform and fulfill our heart's desire, grow love, create peace, make us happy, change the world. So how disappointing for us then when it can't even penetrate the surface? And how utterly common. Probably most moments of most days, most people can't absorb the seed, the love, the good news, are impenetrable somehow, closed down because of depression or fear or anxiety or poverty or racism or trauma, or too sick or tired or sad or hurt, or maybe are too comfortable or invulnerable for the seed to penetrate. For whatever impossible possibility, we don't even notice the infinite love in which we have our being. But there are moments that the seed lands, but it doesn't take root. It doesn't last long enough to make any significant impact because we're worn out trying to juggle a hundred things, practical and technical, because we're almost forced to be engaged with our phones to survive in this culture, culture, because capitalism or Netflix, or there's just some hard ball of shame or fear or pain just under the surface that blocks the seed from blossoming. And then there are some moments the seed grows in us, but there are such thorns growing alongside it that they choke the life out of it. The cares of the world is what Jesus calls this. This might be the most painful of the scenarios. If you have in this or that moment the sort of soil that the seed can penetrate, it implies a certain openness, a sort of vulnerability. And then 
the cares of the world. You find out you have cancer, or your child or your partner does, or 19 fourth graders are shot to death in Uvalde, or the implications of the climate crisis overwhelm the extinction of species, the cares of the world choke the word, deprive the plant of oxygen. The seed sprouts and grows a little, but then all the great sadness kills it. Sometimes, though, some moments the seed sprouts and bears fruit. And that isn't uncommon at all, either. I mean, look for it. Feel it. Honor it with all of your being. It happens in a bazillion ways through birds and good food and grandmas, through fire and wind and floods, even legislation, even the shit you have to deal with. There is love. There is goodness and mercy. Sometimes I'd like to believe we can cultivate the kind of soil from moment to moment, the kind that can receive the seed and grow the fruit and know the love through prayer and meditation and reading and walking and sitting under trees or trying, just trying somehow, or, or maybe not trying in the right way. But I'm not sure that that's true. We're dealt such different hands, different genes, DNA, the injustice of society. We don't choose our soil. And plus, it isn't just the soil. It has to do with the rain and the sun, things clearly beyond our control. Our soil is probably different minute by minute, and we don't control it. So what's the practice here? I wanted to come up with a practice. I guess if you have the capacity, pray for the fruit to grow for every living thing, for mercy, for the love of God to be plowed into you. I mean, this could seem like a really sad parable because the chances that the conditions are going to be right for the beautiful fruit to grow seem so slim. I mean, it's only one out of four in the scenarios that Jesus gives in the story. Only one of those has the conditions that allow the seed to grow. Except, actually, if you read it, it, it isn't sad at all. The sower sows indiscriminately, optimistically all over the place, and the yield is actually astounding. The seed that brought forth grain in the parable, it's a huge harvest. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, Jesus says. Those sorts of yields are astounding, even for the likes of Monsanto in these days of tractors and genetic engineering, astounding yields. It's interesting to think about what makes good soil. It's not like cleanliness, it's certainly not like pesticides or herbicides. It's actually like all matter of matter. It's like death and decay. Even the seed that falls to the earth and dies participates in this making the soil richer. You could say that death decays into it. Death is made non-toxic. Death reemerges as new life in the soil. It all seems like a little bit much to believe. But this seed, consider the seed. 
The good news might be hard to hear or understand sometimes. Maybe you need a very, very long view, but there is more than we know going on. Trust the sower. Trust the love of the sower. Trust the seed. Eat the bread that you are given. And don't be afraid. 